What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, it's good to have you back, my boy. How was Miami that, that past weekend? It's kind of a loaded question. The events that took place were great. Got to see the Mavs, but we lost. Got to go out to a nice dinner with my friends. Got food poisoning. Um, Got to go to a cool bar, and I met Ian Rappaport. So, I mean, outside of that, it was... uh, I would say that it was lackluster for the potential that could have been, but still had a good time. It's just too bad you got the food poisoning thing, because we... Kev was going through his whole... The only way that I could describe what Kevin was going through this past weekend was just an utter shit show. And honestly, no pun intended, but... Pun intended at the same time. <laughs> honestly, there's probably an accurate description of really the things that Kev was going through the entire weekend. And then even, Kev, you were dealing with it a couple of days into this past week, too. Yeah, I didn't really start feeling better until yesterday morning, to be honest. And I'm not going to go into detail, obviously, because it's kind of gross. But point of the matter is... This is why people say rich people food is overrated. I can make a 16th, not a 16th. I can make a New York strip in this house just as good as the restaurant, and I ain't going to get no food poisoning. But it is what it is. Again, it was fun. It was a different experience. And uh, again, it's always just nice to link up with the boys. So that's all that really mattered. I bet that steak was banging, though. 16 ounce New York strip. I bet that was banging, dude. Oh, it was busting, bro. That shit was crazy. It might have been 55 bucks, but. 67, I think. Damn, I ever shot it. I thought 55 would have been good. Crazy. I never had a dinner that expensive. The bill was almost 700 total. That shit was crazy. For you or for the entire table? No, for for, for all four of us, almost 700. I'm about to say, dude. Bro, you start getting a $700 bill, but it's just you. You probably got some bottles on that too, especially in Miami. Right now, I'm telling you right now, the day I run up a tab at any place, bar, restaurant, Casino, bro, smack me or call my parents because that's not me. I'm I'm way too frugal to do that shit. You, that's even, you know that's not me. That's even if we get like a million subscribers in the future, something like that. That's a it's whole like, different game. You know, I I I'll I be balling on a budget, so to speak. Like if I go on vacation, I'm not shy to spend. But if I'm going out there and I'm racking up 700 cash on a dinner just for me, that's not me. I promise you. Man, I promise you. So, some places in. Miami, a seven hundred dollar dinner for some people that live there, bro. That's that's like dirt money for some people. Bro, I'm from New York. You walk down a specific avenues in Manhattan, you run in a bill just walking in. I, I mean, no some surprise. of those bills, some of those bills that people could rack up, oh, easy, four or five digits, depending on what what place you go it's, to, what sort of drinks just, you get in. It's it's ridiculous. Just certain bars. I know there's like fifty, sixty dollar drinks for like a. A nice bottle of whiskey, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying the bottle, I'm saying the drink itself is like 50, 60 bucks. It's it's crazy. But, I mean, as far as as far as far I see it, I mean, at least you weren't, you know, dying for being drunk. But it, it was just another yeah. thing entirely. Yeah, that, that, that would have been a nightmare if I was drunk and sick. But, alas, I made the conscious adult decision to say, you know what, I don't feel good. I'm going to cut the alcohol. I'm going to cut the junk food. You know, I didn't really eat a whole lot after that dinner. I ate meals, but, like conservatively because i was just i didn't know what was going on with the stomach but i digress it was a good weekend but guys we're back in the booth super excited to be back in general and uh, we got an agenda for you today so i'm going to kind of kick it off so first we're going to talk a little bit about the nba i had mentioned i was at the mavs heat game in miami this past weekend and this kind of coincides with the mavs having two more games to go right behind the oklahoma city thunder 
Do the Mavs have enough to get in? Whose fault is it why the Mavs are struggling? Kyle and I have a whole lot to talk about. Obviously, I have a whole lot to talk about with it being my team, but we'll talk about that just for a little bit. In the NFL, Tyreek Hill announced today that at the end of his contract with the Dolphins in 2025, he's going to hang him up and he is going to go the business route. Kyle and I are going to dive into what we think about that, how that looks to the Dolphins and other NFL owners, and just in general, what sense does that really make with two, three years left on the contract for you to go and prematurely put yourself in that situation? So we'll dive into that a little bit. To keep it in the NFL, Cam Newton had talked a little bit about, I guess on his podcast, his platform, YouTube, whatever it is that he does, was talking about his preferred destinations if he were to be a backup and acknowledged once again saying that no, there are not 32 starting NFL quarterbacks that are better than him. We are definitely going to try to wake him up off, off of that high horse that he may have and then just talk a little bit about the arrogance that he kind of has shown over the last couple of weeks with him having that, that pro day at Auburn, him making the comments that he did today, and then going over that list. It was just just a little weird for me, definitely a little weird for us as a whole, but um, you know, definitely got to talk about that for a little bit. Then, of course, we are going to talk about UFC 287 and the cards that are going to come out with that. Two big fights are on the slate, so it's going to be an incredible uh, matchups for this past or this coming weekend. And we got to talk about the Masters. The Masters is currently going on until the ninth, and obviously, you know, Tiger Woods was a part of it. You got a couple of other people up at the top that are shooting absolutely incredible, even some as good as seven under. So uh, Kyle's going to dive into that, and we're going to talk about probably the greatest golf tournament in existence. So that's a jam-packed agenda for you guys today. Got a whole lot to cover. So like I said. First on the agenda, it's got to be my basketball team because why else would we talk about anything else? Kyle, what do you got? Well, and, you know, obviously, Kev, you weren't here uh, at the beginning of the week uh, when that last episode dropped, but bro, I had to start it out with the Mavs. I think they had lost three or four games in a row. I think they had just come off of a loss against the 76ers. And, Kev, I even remember, I think this was earlier in the week, there were rumors flying around if the Mavs had lost a couple more games in a row, that they were going to shut down Kyrie and Luka for the rest of the regular season had they not been able to get well, their most recent win against the Kings, which was... Yesterday. Thir- yeah, it was Wednesday. Wednesday. It was Wednesday night. So, I mean, it'll be Friday by the time you guys hear this. But, no, I, Kev, I, I know we've talked about the Mavs, and I know it's kind of come as a pain for you because, essentially, the Mavs have had this massive collapse... Uh, compared to where they were a month, month and a half ago. You know, the Mavs were in a pretty advantageous situation before the Kyrie trade took place. Fourth. Yeah, you guys were cooking. You guys were, I mean, it was pretty much a sure shot that you guys were going to have a a playoff spot. You know, forget about a playing tournament situation. You know, you guys were going to hop that entirely and uh, just go straight into the playoffs as a traditional playoff seed. But as of right now, I mean, you guys are barely scraping by. I... We'll say, you know, like I just said, you know, they had that big comeback win against the Kings. But as of right now, the way that it's set up is, you know, we're going to have a race or basically this is a sprint to get the final seed in this playing tournament in the Western Conference between the Thunder and the Mavs. Uh, currently right now, the Thunder have the tiebreaker over the Mavs, even though the I believe they both have the same record or they're still. I think their winning percentage is the same, but nonetheless, Kev has a bunch to say about the issues that have been plaguing the Mavs over the last, I would say, four to six weeks and continue to show themselves 
game after game, even if they win some of these games, there are still some major issues that Kev has highlighted in the past. And some of these issues are reoccurring and popping up once again. So Kev, I'm just going to kick this one to you. How do you think the Mavs can combat a lot of the issues that they've been contending with before they finish out the regular season with two games to go? I'm be blunt. I don't want us to. I don't want to get to the playoffs. I think that it's going to be silly to make a playing tournament just for us to give up 130 points to either, you know, Minnesota, the Lakers. The I just I I'd rather not personally. I'd rather just let the season end where it is. Hopefully, if we continue to lose, we can keep the draft pick and not give it to the Knicks in terms of that trade for for Porzingis a few years ago. Um, I said it in Miami to my friends. I'd rather not win. I said it in the Atlanta game that we lost right after that. It's better to just let it go. Kyrie and Luka, they're going to give you 30 at night, right? Or they're going to go back and forth between who's going to give 40. It's not the offense that's the problem. Luka said it publicly the other day. Offense isn't the issue. We just don't defend. We are probably one of the worst teams in total defensive efficiency. Last I heard, we were 23rd or 24th. Kyle went through the statistics on on uh, on Monday's episode where we we're kind of last in rebounding, offensive rebounding. I mean, we just we can't guard. At the Miami game, there were instances we had no defensive rotations, we had no closeouts, we had no box outs, we had careless turnovers, and we're one of the best turnover teams in terms of not turning the ball over in the league that made us lose this game. We were down twelve at half. At one point, we were down twenty-two points. It's Open threes, open layups. We switch everything. So anytime anybody sets a pick, it's a consistent mismatch. They're always targeting uh, Luka and Kyrie because Kyrie's undersized and not the best defender. And Luka's got no effort. We don't have a definitive big. They didn't play Bam Adebayo, and yet we didn't play JaVale McGee. Dwight Powell is useless. Maxi Kleba looked like a piece of shit. Like, our best defender in Reggie Bullock and Josh Green, they couldn't do anything. And between the two of them... They had a total of three points. They both played over 30 minutes. And between two NBA players, they had three points. I don't understand it. Tim Hardaway had a great night. He had like 32, 33 points. Luka had 40. Kyrie had almost 25. Like The people that score did their job. But the team as a cohesive unit does not defend. I'm tired of having this conversation. I'm sick and tired of repeating myself week in and week out. This team will go out and give you 150 points if everybody is on. The word if is so big. Right here, because again, it, shots have to fall. We are one of the worst teams at attacking the paint. We are one of the worst paint present team paint presence teams in the league. We have no definitive big. We rotate a bunch of guys that aren't even seven feet that cannot back anyone down in this league. They have zero post game to speak of, and they're relying upon stretching the floor and shooting the three ball. Granted, Javale McGee is a traditional big in terms of blocking shots and catching oops, but. He's not someone that's going to really intimidate anybody. I think that he would just improve our shot blocking defense, our paint presence, and just altering shots and just overall energy off the bench. But Jason Kidd doesn't play him. And that's what goes into my next avenue of issues. Jason Kidd's selective rotations and who he puts in in the minute distribution amongst the team is ridiculous. Jaden Hardy barely got any minutes in Miami, but Reggie Bullock scored three points. JaVale McGee got no minutes, but Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell were useless. It just... I'm not understanding what we're doing. Justin Holiday, one of our better defenders, was sitting on the bench for a lot of that game. He barely got any minutes. Jason is clueless with what the personnel he has out there is doing. Luka Doncic doesn't play defense. 
And for those of you that are going out there saying it's Kyrie's fault, Kyrie changed the narrative, Kyrie's averaging damn near 30 points a game since putting on a Mavericks uniform, went on the floor. Kyrie had 19 points in the fourth quarter last night against the Kings. Kyrie still leads the NBA in most points scored in the fourth quarter throughout the league at 9.6 points per game. The next closest person is Giannis Antetokounmpo at 8.5. So when you come here and you say Kyrie's not doing anything, Kyrie may have missed a couple of games because of some injuries. He's not a distraction. The locker room has had nothing good to has had nothing but good things to say about him. Jason Kidd has said good things. The staff has said good things. Mark Cuban has even said good things. It has nothing to do with Kyrie. The team as a whole was a shit defensive team beforehand, but when you go and you trade away our best defensive piece in Dorian Finney-Smith for Kyrie Irving, what do you expect? The rumors have it. Kyrie's probably not going to resign. Mark Cuban says it's his top priority, but wouldn't commit to Christian Wood. That's a whole other conversation where, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to play, and by he, Jason Kidd doesn't want to play Christian Wood down the stretch either. I, I, I truly and honestly don't understand a guy that's going to give you 20 and 10 on a nightly basis, doesn't start, and then doesn't get consistent minutes when he doesn't start. So the Mavs are a, a walking tire fire, as Kyle would say. We have been falling apart since the All-Star break, pretty much since the trade, and there are a multitude of reasons. I said that this trade wouldn't work out. I blamed Kyrie for a lot of it. I will not lie. I'm not going to sit here and, and go back on my word. I stick by what I said in terms of Kyrie would alter things, and I'm eating those words. But what I said about defense, Jason Kidd, and everything else, it's looking like I'm going to be right, man. Looks like Kyrie's going to end up dipping because I'm pretty sure he didn't agree to leave a three- or four-seeded Brooklyn team to come to a top-four-seeded Mavericks team to fight for a playing spot. It's just not a good look for the organization. We look horrible. So I pretty much went over this a couple of days ago, and I'm not going to reiterate what I just went over with a couple of days ago. If you guys want to check out what I see, you could just look at the Monday episode and you guys can watch the YouTube video uh, where I went into the mass, I think for damn near almost 10 minutes where it was just me. So if you guys want to check that out, go right ahead. Kev, I'm honestly going to take, uh, I'm going to do like, I'm gonna take like the Joe Rogan route here. And I'm going to basically just kind of like kick more questions to you. Like when it comes to the maps, obviously they've had this massive collapse in the last quarter of the season. You don't believe that it's fair to place all of the blame on one person when it comes to the maps on their recent struggles, right? Like you Absolutely. wouldn't blame you you wouldn't blame Luca solely for all of this. You wouldn't blame Kyrie solely for this or or the front office or Jason Kidd. Like I, I understand this. It's a culmination of everything, but I will say that if Luka Doncic wants to remain a maverick, he wants to call himself a leader, and people in the locker room want to continue to advocate for him, he's got to show up. I'm not talking about offensively. I said offense isn't the problem. But when I watch you live with my eyes, sit there and face up a guy, and he just blows past you with no effort, no pick, we have a problem. That is but consistent, I'm, easy layups, transition buckets, turnovers, and when you're complaining to the refs and not getting back on defense, you are allowing five, seven, eight, maybe even ten points alone on your assignment and you not getting back. Mm -hmm. So the games that we're losing by a narrow margin, if Luka would just put in a little bit of effort, maybe we don't lose, maybe we tie, maybe even we win these games. I don't know, but if I had to put specific blame on one person, if I had to... Luca is one of them, but I just I can't definitively like soak in just on one person because it's it's again it's a culmination. 
Because like for me, the way that I see it is I kind of make, I was like split it in this manner. So when it comes to the defense and mostly your paint presence. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at Jason Kidd in that regard, simply because, okay, you have to put the right players in the right position to be able to execute at a high level. And like you just stated a couple minutes ago, you guys are one of the worst rebounding teams, if not the worst rebounding team in the NBA. I don't understand why JaVale McGee, of all people, you guys brought him into the fold a couple months ago, and he hasn't been getting a lot of time there on the court. Now, granted, I know that JaVale McGee is not the best big man in the NBA, but at least he would give a better option than either Maxi Kleba or maybe Bertans if you're going to focus on paint protection down low. Because I will say, JaVale McGee in little spurts here or there, whether he was with the Lakers or the Warriors, he could give you good minutes. He can go out there, get you some boards, and get some buckets down low if he's open right at the rim. So when I look at that situation specifically, that's on Jason Kidd. But when it comes to, I would say, the lack of talent that they have at the 4 or 5 position, I would mostly focus on the 5. That's on the front office. You can, Agreed. Can, can we you don't play talking, Christian. It, it, it's not just that. I mean, I'm talking specifically about your five. I'll just more focus it on that. Well, because he plays the, the, the four and the five, depending on the lineup size. I'm saying overall, you have been saying about this issue with the maps for years. You guys have not had a legitimate big man that's been a down low paint protector presence since Tyson Chandler, right? Yeah, we had uh, DeAndre Jordan past his prime when uh, right before we traded for KP, but we had him for less than half the year. You know, that's another issue that I could look at. So, you know, obviously Jason Kidd not putting the right guys in the right place at the right time. I could look at Luca, honestly, probably not being the best leader that he could be. And I understand that he's still young and he's still developing, but he's been in the nope. game long enough at this point to know better. I think the... I think the amount of complaining that I've seen from him, especially with his bitching back and forth between the refs, it's gotten old. It's gotten old. And I understand, you know, for someone like him, the, the refs are a quick, easy way to find someone to blame in a very short, concise manner. But when I look at Luka, dude, his defense is just not there. It's not there consistently enough to say, okay, you know, Luka... He's not only a, a great offensive player, but on the defensive end, he's doing his job. And I think he even said something a couple of days ago where I think his conditioning is actually an issue because he's saying like in some of these games, especially late, he's getting tired because he's playing a lot more or he's putting a lot more effort on the offensive side compared to the defensive side. I could look to somebody like James Harden a couple of years ago where James was doing everything on offense and he was getting roasted for not playing defense. You know, that was despite the fact that James was putting up 35 points a game. Defensively, he just was a no-show sometimes. And that was honestly more than just sometimes. It was more times than not. He just wasn't putting a lot of effort in on defense. I'm just surprised that, you know, when it comes to Lucas specifically, that he's not getting outed more for his lack of defensive capabilities. And that could be an issue of conditioning if he's putting too much effort in on the offensive side. And that's also a Jason Kidd issue with the guys that you guys are, with the way that you guys are running your offense. So that's another issue. 
so I would probably, me, ma- I, if anything, I'm going to make an argument that that's on Luca as well, bro. Nobody told you to go play the FIBA. Nobody told you to go play in in the in the the the, the Olympics and all these. That's on you. If you're going to sit here and complain about, oh, I've been playing basketball for four years straight with limited time and be, nobody told you to go out there. I'm not saying not to, but I'm not going to feel bad when you're making the conscious decision in your head. I'm going to go play basketball for my country after playing for six straight months in the NBA, going far in the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have no remorse for you. It's not like Slovenia said, hey, you have to play or we're revoking your citizenship or if you don't play, the country's going to fall apart. No. I'm going to go play for them. That's on you. I, again, I don't have remorse. I don't care that you're 24, 25 years old. I don't care how burnt out your body is. Bro, look at LeBron James, God damn it. Look at he's Kobe Bryant. No, but I'm saying, look at look, all of these players are great, and they did their time on the defensive end. When they got older, they slacked off. When they got older, they physically put in more effort to put on the offensive side because they couldn't do the defense or because they knew that their teams needed more offensive output than what they could provide on defense. Look at Jordan, 30 points per game a season, multiple all-defensive teams. I'm not asking you for that. But if you're going to sit here and you're going to stand there and you're going to just let somebody walk by you, that's not effort. That's not trying. I don't want to hear it. I literally saw multiple instances at the Miami game. Bro, they attack him. They give him a little move. And they just dribble past him. And what does Luka do? I'm going to try to pop the ball up from behind. Or I'm going to swipe at the ball when I get switched on. That's, that's the epitome of bullshit. That's a cop-out. I'm not giving you no passes, bro. I'm done with your shit. I didn't say you need to go get all defensive teams average a steal and a half a game, a block, and the people that shoot in front of you got to shoot less than 50% from the field. But God damn it, if you're just going to sit there and let them walk, why are you on the court? Just stay on the other side. Cherry pick for that matter. Because people are going to assume you got your man. You play a man, you play a man, you're not playing zone, stay in front of him. But you a liability. And you got people running past you to where people got to pick up two players. And what happens? The same shit that Luca does on the offensive side. If they collapse, someone's open. Mm-hmm. And I don't see you chasing an open man when it's, the, when it's that person in the corner and you were left at the top of the key. You're not making no effort. So, no, Luca don't get no passes, bro. I don't want to hear it. I'm literally asking you just to try. If you put less effort into 12 step-back three attempts... And maybe a little bit more effort on the defensive end. And instead of chirping your ass off, wasting oxygen, bitching at the refs, and you'd hustle back on defense, maybe we wouldn't be one of the worst transition teams in the NBA. Maybe we would get more rebounds. Maybe we would have more freaking uh, defensive efficiency ratings. I don't know. But for everybody going out there and saying that this isn't Luka's fault, they're not watching Mavericks basketball. They're looking at the box score. He had 45, 10, and 9. It definitely ain't Luka's fault. Look at the plus minus. Open the stat sheet bigger than what your eyes can see. Extend it. We all know people look at statues on their phone. They look at the basic points, rebounds, and assists. Hit the expand button. You will fucking see what I'm talking about. Bro, we are in this situation because the team don't play defense. And what do they always say? Lead by example. Our example don't play a goddamn lick of defense. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having this. I'm not having this. Bro, I even went as far as say trade that motherfucker, bro. I'm, bro, I was so mad after that game. I said trade him. Simply just because the effort wasn't there. Bro, he don't On fucking the do side. nothing. He just stand there. Literally. You so know how Patrick Beverly said Chris Paul a cone? 
Luca might be worse than a cone. It's like you guys. Luca might be on a cement block, bro. Just sit there. Just put him there to hold something. Just put. Just just stand there. I I, well, I I genuinely have had enough. I well first like first things first. I mean, the Mavs are not going to get rid of Luca. They're not going to trade him. I I know. I, I know. I know. Saying, when, when, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're like, yeah. dude. I I'd rather have six role players that will give me a thousand pounds of effort. I get it. I then, get it. Then then someone that's going to sit there and say, oh, I'm tired. I played basketball for you. Welcome for, to life. For, for me, when it comes to Luca, Luca deserves a lot of the blame. I don't think that he should be the only one getting blame. I think that, you know, Jason Kidd deserves a lot of blame. I think that Mark Cuban deserves a lot Mark of blame. Cuban? Are you kidding me? But, you know, even like a, with one of the other players that we look with on the maps, bro, I remember that Philly game a couple, I don't even think it was more than two it, weeks it ago. It was Wednesday. It was basically about, what, a week and a half ago? A little less than two weeks, but yeah. Reggie Bullock. Wide open. Wide open on some of these three-point shots. There's no defender even trying to, to get back to cover. Can't hit shots. There are times when I look at Reggie Bullock, he's putting up, what, 30, 35 minutes a game? He's like one of seven. Or two of eight. And when it comes to his three-point percentage, it's 10, 15%. I've looked at some of these games with the Mavs, and I'm looking at some of these opportunities that these guys are getting for shot up uh, for shots, and they just can't knock them down. And listen, when when it comes to shot making, look, sometimes they just don't fall in. I get that happens absolutely, but it's the frequency when I look at somebody like Reggie Bullock, where it's like, dude, it's like you got to knock these wide open shots. It's one thing if they're contested. It's like okay, if they're contested and you miss it, it happens. But, bro, when you got some wide-open shots and you actually have a second to gather yourself to get a good form shot off and you can't knock it down consistently, you know, that's that's why, you know, teams will literally move off of players and send them around the league if they can't be able to compete at a high level. So, And I talked about this with my boys, too. They finally got to see what I was referring to because they play basketball in high school. They play pickup games. They're in adult leagues. Like, they still hoop. Luca's issue is that when he's in his head, it's the Lucas show. Nobody else going to touch the ball unless he's triple teamed yeah. and like you, like he has to pass it to you. Tim Hardaway Jr. started the game 3 of 3 or 4 of 4. He had like 11 points in the first quarter. That man ain't touched the ball again consistently until the third quarter, Kyle. Where's the rhythm? Where's the consistency? Uh, people always say, oh, you're an NBA player. You got to be ready. If I don't touch the ball for 15 minutes after just hitting three or you're four gonna, in a row. You're, you're going to be cold. You're going to be cold. Gotta so if Reggie Bullock them. takes two shot attempts in the first quarter and he don't touch it again to the fourth quarter, but his stat sheet says he's two of eight, but those eight, is hot, those eight attempts came in two separate quarters, 45 minutes apart. What the? That's true. We all know a basketball game on paper is 12, 12, 48 minutes. But it takes three hours to complete in a lot of situations. So these players are resting for a lot longer oh. than just 48 minutes. Oh, I know. Timeouts, half times, intermissions, all the things that happen. Referee reviews, challenges now, media timeouts. Bro, if you're not consistently putting up shots, for those of you who don't know, that's why NBA players wear long sleeves. That's why they wear three or four things so their body stays hot. You're probably like, damn, it's, he's hot as hell. Why would he not want to be in his jersey or have a fan? They're trying to keep them warm because you can't just go into a game, have 15 points, whatever the case may be, and not touch the game, not touch the ball for another hour. 
It don't work that way. So that's why I get mad when people are shitting on our role players. When they get good shot attempts consistently, they hit shots. Reggie's a little bit different because he's the epitome of a streaky shooter. There was a game three weeks ago. He had like a season high 26 points. He couldn't miss, but he was getting the ball religiously. Tim Hardaway Jr., he scored 30 a couple nights in a row now, or, or 30 twice in four games or whatever the case may be. He's getting into a rhythm. And then there are games where he scores like five, six points. But that's what I'm saying. If they're not touching the ball consistently, couple I'm not asking for 15 shots consistent. Bro, two, three shots in the first, take your rest, couple shots in the second. Get him into it. Mm-hmm. Bro, you can't just go out here and dance, 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 step back, step back. And then it's a brick, and then you, you're you going to complain that you got hit in the elbow when you didn't, and then you're going to bitch to the ref. It's five on four. It's a repeated occurrence, and nobody ever wants to listen to me because everybody's so infatuated with Luka Magic and all these triple doubles. When you sit down and you watch a Maverick game from a strategic basketball point of view, no fandom included, and you look at him play, he is a uh, transcendent NBA basketball player, not generation. He's a, he's a step above that because what he can do is incredible with the basketball. But again, if you were to pretend to be a coach, yo, I need effort, bro, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're giving me 40, but you're giving up 30 on the other end. It's not okay. I feel that. I feel that, bro. So I knew you had a lot to say. I mean, yeah, I, I just, you it, know, I had to get the demonstration of my defensive stance. You feel me? Like, I had to get it, out there and show everybody, like, yo, this is what we're talking about. And it's been a week, so. I had a little kinda, bit of pent-up aggression from the weekend. I was sick. Little, I was mad at Luca. It was a combination of things. You've been chopping at the bit for that. I could tell. Yeah. And I'm just happy that my boys, again, that play, that have coached in the past, they saw what I've been talking about for years because that was their first time seeing Luca. Because all the other games that I've gone to while Luca's been a maverick, my 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 dad and I went, Isabel and I went, and the game that my boy who has the season tickets, I don't think Luca was playing one of the times, but like everybody else got to see Luca for the first time and they're like, yo, mm-hmm. he don't really do Luka. shit on this side. I've seen Luca in person. Offensively, I, I can never criticize the guy. I mean, other than maybe probably not distributing the ball as much as he should when if a shot's not there for him to you know, on a scale of like one percent He's going to make it to 100%. He's going to make it. You know, if you're taking a shot where you're probably going to make it 5 to 10% of the time, bro, you got to kick it out. But the problem is, is that they, bro, they just space the floor and they let Luca do his thing. And then when he gets doubled and then it's James Harden basketball, out, bro. I saw yeah, it's, it's all it is. And it's a little bit of a switch up now with Kyrie because now you have two ball dominant players, but the majority Still, of the shots, the, the majority of the shots are mostly going to come from both Luca. And Kyrie, it's just the way that it's going to be with them essentially running the show. But no, when it comes to his defensive effort, no, I'm with you 100%. And, and the complaining has to stop. It has to. We're t- Leading the you, league consistently or tops of the league in technical fouls since he's been inserted. You like, can't have that. You can't have that. So um, I, 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 think we've, uh, I think we've beaten this topic down like a dead horse at this point. So I think bit. we will move on. So up next... Kev, you want to go over Tyreek first, or you want to go over Cam? Let's, let's do Tyreek. And, you okay. know, I'll kick it to you because I really dragged on that Luka one. So Tyreek Hill, the wide receiver of the Miami Dolphins, came out and said today, I believe on a podcast, 
mm-hmm. uh, that he plans to retire after his contract with the Miami Dolphins ends, and he is looking to go into the business side of the world, investing money, buying properties, and all these different things. And some people were taken abreast by that. They were just like, wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to retire in a few years? Like, you still have so much left in the tank. Like, what about your services? Do you not want to get paid anymore? So, Kyle, based on what Tyreek said, and, you know, I would take it with a grain of salt because we never know what's going to happen in a few years. But based on what he said, what are your thoughts on uh, Tyreek's plan to retire uh, at the age of what? By the time this contract ends, it'll be 29, 30? Well, he just turned 29. So, oh, excuse if, me. If you figure, okay, well, it's 2023. He's got three more years on the contract. It's going to be, what, 31, 32 when he ends up retiring after this contract runs out. I mean, the way that I see it, this was a little premature as far as I see it. And and don't get me wrong. You know, if that's the route that Tyreek wants to go, if Tyreek were to bow out in 2025, I mean, you'd look back on his career and it's been an undeniable success. I mean, the way that he has... I would say evolved the wide receiver position has been interesting simply just because he's just a speedster. But for someone like him to be as effective as he is, as small as he is, because he's not the tallest guy out there. I think Tyreek Hill is like, what, 5'10", 5'11", maybe six feet at the most. But the fact of the matter is he's just able to burn past corners and take the top off of opposing defenses. That's what his role was when he was in Kansas City where they were getting Super Bowls based off of it, or at least going to the Super Bowl, I should say. But when it comes to him potentially retiring in 2025, I still think it's premature. I, I'm i not going to say like this is going to be 100% certain that he's going to re- retire because priorities change. you know. And let's say, for example, if certain business ideas or business opportunities don't pan out or if they're just not available for him, say two or three years from now, you know, that could definitely affect his time in the NFL. That may kind of shift his priorities to maybe play a couple more years in the NFL. And Kyle, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never really heard somebody say they're going to retire two, three years out and pick a definitive year. Say, yeah, I'm going to be out by then. You know, you, I mean, I've heard guys like, you know, Brady say they'll they'll, they'll retire by 45, but you never really knew what you were going to get. I mean, he ended up making it to 45 years old, but there were some people potentially thinking that he could go past that. He he even kind of indicated that he could play past 45 if he wanted to. So when it comes to Tyreek, if Tyreek were to bow out, like I said, at 31, 32 years old, his career would be a phenomenal one. He'd be a Hall of Famer for sure, just based off of how effective he was in his time with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I'm not 100% certain that he's going to hang it up in 2025. You know, if he's if he has the opportunity to play longer and if there's success that comes along with it, you know, maybe he sticks around or he could just decide to hang it up after a certain point and if 2025 is the year for him, you know, I mean, I'll tip the hat to the guy and you know, wish him nothing but the best moving forward, but I am happy for him in this sense. You know, when it comes to NFL players, when they reach the end of their career, sometimes they get caught with their pants down and not setting themselves up for that next step in their life. And we've seen, unfortunately, there's there's a dark side that comes with the NFL where you know guys make all of this money throughout their playing career, they don't invest properly, and they end up going bankrupt. And some guys financially go into 
major peril after their playing career. You know, so I am glad that Tyreek is planning for the future as he should. And I think that's a, a smart long-term view for what's going to come in the next part of his professional career. But I'm not 100% certain that he's just going to retire in 2025. We have to see how things play out in Miami uh, with the Dolphins over the next couple of years. And, you know, if Miami is successful and he's a big catalyst behind it, you know, maybe he sticks around for a couple more years past 2025, but I'm not sold on him being out in 2025. If he is, I wish him nothing but the best, but I'm a little bit skeptical on this retirement talk from Tyreek Hill. No, I'm in the same boat. I mean, first, let me start with the guy's an incredible talent. We know what he can do to opposing defenses. We know the type of wide receiver that he is and the playmaker that he is for whatever organization he's going to be a part of. I will say... If he is going to make this decision with the mindset of investing, being a good business partner, business owner, you know, making sure that he is set for the future, I, I, how can you have qualms with somebody preparing for the betterment of his family? What I'm going to say is saying something like this prematurely might make you look bad, especially if you were to end up coming back and saying, you know what, like if, if Miami were to win a Super Bowl in the next three years, I know my brother would love that. Um, and you know, he's like Kyle said, an integral part of that. Or if he were to finish his contract out and he gets another contract offer next to, or close to a max deal, I don't know how much you can leave that on the table. Tyreek's not somebody that goes out there and is consistently knocked out. He's not someone that crosses the middle of the field. He's not someone that returns punts anymore. He is, I don't want to be disrespectful, but low key, like a a one trick pony (laughs) running a straight line or catch a screen pass. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not someone that's going to go out there and and consistently get injured, unless it's like a hamstring, a calf. But I'm not going to belittle someone's injuries, injury history, or what he can do uh, in the future. But I'm happy he is able to acknowledge, like, hey, like I know what I have in front of me. I know the athletic ability that I have. And I commend him for saying, I will make whatever I can from this NFL contract and what I can from this league, but I am going to look forward and say, let me hang it up while I still have my consciousness. While I still have my memory, you know, God forbid he were to get career-ending injury. You never know what that's going to do to someone's life. He's got kids. You want to be able to play with them, enjoy their youth, give them a good life, plan for their kids. Because again, the money that he has is generational. Talking about multi-millions of dollars between endorsements, NFL money, incentives. Just There's so much stuff that Tyreek Hill could potentially get. And, uh, you know, I will give him, like I said, credit for acknowledging like, hey, I have an opportunity to do something for the future. Now... On the playing side, dude, that itch may come. I, we saw Tom Brady play till he's 45. You may say this now, but you also haven't been able to do much in the postseason with Miami while you, since you've been there. Let's, let's, let's pump the brakes. If you were to make a run, Tua starts to develop, the roster starts to explode the way that it can. Again, like you win a Super Bowl. Therefore, you may get the addictive itch to say, you know, like we got something special here in Miami. Or if it flops in Miami and... I don't know. The Chiefs wanted to bring you back on a crazy deal. You you said Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. You never know. Business opportunities may present themselves on the table to say, hey, come play for us for one year. Where we know you want to retire. We just give it a shot. So let's not count the chickens before they hatch. Let's not close any doors before the opportunity presents itself. If he so decides to officially do it and say, screw it, I'm done. I've had enough. Kudos to him. Walks away, early 30s, millions of dollars in his pocket. And he has intentions to do right with it. So again, if Tyreek Hill wants to hang him up, good for him. If not, 
I know teams are going to ask for his services. He's not going away. And I will say that there was another pro, I guess you could say, if he were to retire in 2025. Kev, you remember, this was back when the Patriots were in their dynasty run. You ever hear that New England would be of the mindset, it's best to get rid of a guy a year early than a year late? Yeah. Meaning, you know, if you're able to get the best value out of them before they start falling off when it comes to their overall talent, it's probably the best way if their production dips, it's probably best to let them go potentially a year early than to let them go a year too late. And I think when it comes to Tyree kill in this position, maybe that's almost like a self-assessment with him at this point, because when I look at Tyree kill, Kev, do you see really any sort of production dip or the ability? No, like his overall talent is honestly, it's, there has been no major drop off that I've seen when it comes to his ability to play football effectively at that wide receiver. Man position. played with three quarterbacks this year between Skylar Thompson, Bridgewater, and Tua, and, and it didn't and, matter. And as far as I see it, you know, the quarterback situation is something he really can't control anyway. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to his ability to be able to to burn corners and take the top off of a defense against some safeties that are sitting back 25, 30 yards, Kev, I've seen nothing to indicate that he can't do that anymore. If anything, I think that he could do that consistently for the next probably three to four years. Yeah, if he doesn't lose a step and he just focuses on conditioning, absolutely. Again, he's not a big body intimidating receiver that's going to go out there and jump 50 feet in the air and come down with it. Not saying that he can't, but that's not what he's known for. And and I will say when it comes to his injury history, I mean, when it comes to big injuries, I mean, I imagine just like anybody else, he's picked up dings, bruises, just like anybody else with throughout a regular season and in the playoffs as well. But he hasn't suffered any major injury at this point in his career. Obviously, you know, you knock on wood, you know, you pray to God that he doesn't deal with any sort of like catastrophic injury where it's potentially career threatening. You know, you look at Tua, people were saying that Tua should retire after all these concussions that he got this past year. And I even understand where they were coming from. You know, if Tyreek is out there for the next two to three years, the possibility of picking up a a bigger injury, especially as you start getting into your 30s, there is a possibility. Maybe you just don't absorb the hits as good as you did compared to your 20s. But, I mean, when when it comes to his his production, I don't see that dipping anytime soon unless you have a major issue at the quarterback position. His ability to be able to gain separation is honestly probably the best in the league still. I'd be very hard to find anybody that can gain separation just based off of pure speed. You know, route running is one thing, but he just burns by people, and he does it so effectively. I'm not seeing any sort of drop-off, and I don't think we'll see any sort of drop-off. I think it's a smart idea for the long-term, though. If he wants to preserve his long-term health, this makes a lot of sense. And I think as long as he's got his... He's got all of his eggs in a basket uh, just because Easter's coming up. Uh then I think that's a that's a smart long term thing, and hopefully, you know, he's even more successful in his business options that he could potentially be a part of post his NFL career. But um, I think it's a little premature to come out and say that I'm just going to set this date 2025. I'm out. Right. I think that's a little premature, and I wouldn't he be doesn't surprised. It's going to be in front of him. Like he it, doesn't know a contract that could literally things change. Things $20 change. Twenty million dollars for one season. He's not passing up. 
things change, dude, especially if you get some major incentives and, you know, if you still had that competitive itch, which I imagine for Tyreek is probably still there and probably still be, it'll still be there by 2025. The only thing that I have to, you know, make a point of is if he suffers some sort of injury that changes. That's what yeah, I agree. So, but no, I'm, I'm glad that he's making these steps. I should say, yeah, steps is probably the best word that I could use there that he's taking these steps uh, post football. And I think it's a smart way. The, the only thing is he's, he's just got to make sure that it's the right setup after his NFL career. Yep. But um, it's very rare that we hear someone of like that magnitude because Tyreek Hill is an all pro wide receiver. It's very rare where you see somebody say, you know, I'm going to retire two to three years from now. You know, usually you'll probably get something like, it's, I'll give you an example. Like I, I think JJ Watt this past year, he said he was going to retire. I think towards the end of the season, he didn't say it yeah. at the beginning of the year. You know, I, Brady, I think was kind of indicating it. Well, Brady's kind of anomaly, but Brady retired, came back, and then you never really knew what you were going to get. But I mean, a lot of guys will probably say, okay, this is my last year, like before the season starts. It's very rare when you get somebody like Tyreek Hill saying, I'm going to play this year, the year after that, and then the year after that, and then retire. If he's going to play out the contract, cool. But it's just, it's uncommon to hear that. So, um, We'll see what happens, though. You know, I don't know if Miami's going to be competing for a Super Bowl, but they have some decent players to roll with. We'll see what happens with Tua. Obviously, that's going to be a big question mark going into next year. But uh, when it comes to Tyreek Hill, that dude is just a beast, especially at the wide receiver position. That dude is is a great A wide receiver, and uh, hopefully we get to see him produce at a high level over the next couple of years. But with that said, we are going to transition to somebody that is currently out of the NFL right now, but has plans to hopefully return. And depending on what sort of capacity or role that comes in, we shall see. But Cam Newton uh, recently put out, I believe it was on his own podcast uh, a couple days ago, putting out the idea that he would be open to potentially being a backup quarterback. And the list that Kevin and I saw, or the Kevin or the list that Kevin and I saw with the teams that with the quarterbacks that he would potentially back up were players like Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. He was even saying some of these rookie quarterbacks that are coming into the NFL next year, like Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, uh, like like all of these players were players that Cam mentioned in potentially backing up. And depending on how you guys read this, you know, Cam Newton has been, in and out of the league over the last couple of years. Uh, you could definitely tell that his production has taken a, a major dip ever since he suffered a, a pretty significant shoulder injury a couple of years ago when he was a member of the Carolina Panthers. And throughout his little stints, uh, whether that was with the Patriots, he had a second stint back in Carolina. The athleticism is still there, but just the overall, the overall accuracy, his ability to be able to push the ball down the field, it's just not the same compared to what Cam was displaying back, what you could say during his MVP campaign during the middle of the 2010s. But nonetheless, you know, Cam is interested in coming back to the NFL, potentially as a backup quarterback, listing the quarterbacks that he would have no issue with backing up. So, Kev, I'm just going to kick this one to you. What do you think about Cam Newton's comments about potentially wanting to be a backup quarterback in the NFL this upcoming season? 
I think Cam got some nerve, man. I'm taking this a completely different route. I mean, I'm not saying he can't be a backup, but for the way that he's been talking, how he started things off with saying, ain't 32 guys better than me in this league, you crazy, blah, 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 blah. Going into Auburn saying, yo, I need to use the field on, a, on, on the kids' pro day, whether or not it was at the end, at the beginning, whatever. You taking attention away from kids trying to make it to the league for your benefit when you could have hosted your own pro, you know what I'm saying? It's just... He's rubbed me the wrong way how he's been going about this. And then for you to come out on this platform, whatever that was, again, I don't remember if it was a podcast. I don't remember if it was like a specific app. And for you to go and list preferred destinations like you have a choice. Like Shannon Sharp talked about it perfectly today. He's like, he's like, I'll use an example. He's like, I got no job, but I'm only willing to work for the top 10 companies in the United States of America. But I'm unemployed. Bro, you got no dividends as to where you're going to end up. There's a reason why you weren't on a roster last year. There's a reason why nobody has called you to be a backup this year. Again, as far as the media is concerned, to our knowledge, there is a reason why you have had limited opportunities in the places that you have been and have been benched in each of them because of your performance. I don't want to hear you didn't have time in New England. I don't want to hear that you didn't have time in Carolina. You made the decisions to go to these places. You know what each situation was. You had time to learn the playbook. You got sick with COVID. You were out when you weren't supposed to. You contracted the virus at the time when nobody knew about it, and you missed practices, and you missed time, and you had fatigue because of the virus. Fine. You chose to go back to Carolina thinking that you could fix it with your whole escapade of, I'm back, and then you sucked the, re the remainder of that season. And you got benched. What's your excuse there? I didn't have time to learn the playbook. Matt Rule was a bad head coach. You chose to be a part of these situations you had a flash in week one week two whatever the case in new england kyle knows the game i'm talking about when you play seattle and you lose on fourth down because of the play call and you had some flat you had over 300 yard passing you had like two three touchdowns you looked like you could do it and then you fell apart when you have to be a pure pocket quarterback you're not there anymore bro i'm sorry and then the hype video of your pro day i don't know if anybody else noticed they were all edits of Cam throwing the ball, and then they'd skip to the receiver catching the ball. Or they would show the receiver running the route, and the ball would hit their hands. How do I know Cam threw that? If I'm an NFL GM, if I'm a scout, how do I know that Cam did that? How do I know that Cam threw accurately? How many passes did Cam miss before that hype video, before that receiver caught that pass? I'm just saying. It's a little weird that you got to go and talk about yourself in such a high regard. You're a former NFL MVP. You've had success in the league. You've had max contracts. You've made it to a Super Bowl. If not for Von Miller, you may have even won a Super Bowl because the offense of the Broncos was that bad. But you didn't. You haven't made a Pro Bowl in years. You haven't been successful in the NFL and throwing over 3,000 passing yards in years. You haven't been consistently on an active roster for the whole season. In years, it is now 2023, and you were talking about at the age of 32, 33 years old, that you could still start over a number of quarterbacks. And how convenient is it that the list of quarterbacks that you said you would back up all have potential issues looming? Lamar Jackson, injury history. Deshaun Watson, legal history. Rookies, you may bench them because they're not performing and you, want, you don't want to lose games. Sam Howell in Washington, a guy that has one start under his belt with a head coach that has already chosen to prove uh, to, to pick the veteran on that roster. 
Papa, you're not looking good, bro. You you didn't pick Aaron Rodgers, older age. If you were to get rocked, you'd have to immediately go into a good situation. I'm just saying, you picked a lot of convenient situations for you to have an opportunity to at least compete for a job. I didn't hear you say Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you said Josh Allen, but again, mobile quarterback, somebody who could get hurt. I'm just, I'm, listen, it was just real convenient. You didn't list a lot of other teams that had definitively positioned quarterbacks. You chose people that are going to be rookies or quarterbacks that could get injured or, or, or something could come about you ending up having to start. Cam, let it go. If somebody gives you an opportunity to hold a clipboard, at this point you want to be in the league so bad, you take it. But if you want to play football the way you talk about it, bro, call the rock. Dwayne will definitely give you a job somewhere, bro. Somebody will give you a job. You got to prove it to these people. Not a hype video, not an edited video, not an Auburn Pro Day, not tape from 2015. You got to go out there and prove it. There are plenty of people in the XFL currently that are playing for a bigger game at stake. They're playing for a future opportunity to get on an NFL roster. You want to prove that you can still play? Go give Dwayne a call. You know, I was looking at some of Cam's stats over the last couple of years, and obviously, you know, he suffers that major sh- shoulder injury. I think it was 2019. I think that was his last year with Carolina like, in his first stint. And then he goes to New England, and then the year after that, goes to Carolina on his second stint, plays eight games. So, Kev, let me put this into perspective for you. From 2020 to 2021, so 2021 was the last year that he last played in the NFL. Kev, he threw, I believe, under 15 touchdowns in two seasons. And I believe in that year with New England, he threw eight touchdowns to 10 interceptions. So you have a negative touchdown to interception ratio. Right, he was completing 65% of his passes. Didn't even throw for 3,000 yards. I think he threw for around 2,600 and he has that one big moment in Carolina on a second stint where, like you said, I'm back and then doesn't follow it up. And Carolina really wasn't that big of a contender in that season anyway. So when it comes to Cam, I think when it comes to this idea that he thinks that he's better than the field of starting quarterbacks that are ahead of him, he's basically saying that I could definitely compete with these guys. That's over with. It's not. He's not the same anymore. If this was 2015, Cam. This would be different. We, like you said, Kev. This is 2023. We're past this. Cam just can't play at a high level at that quarterback position anymore. And I don't want to lose sight of this. When it comes to Cam's athletic ability, I know what he's capable of. This dude, from an athletic perspective, is everything you look at for a quarterback. The dude is a tank at what? 6'4", 6'5" can, I think he weighs like 230, 240, maybe even up to 250 pounds. And the the dude can break contact and and extend plays with his feet. And there's only a few other guys in the NFL that could do that consistently. But there's more to being a quarterback than just being able to run out of the pocket to pick up a couple extra yards. You need to be able to complete passes at a high level. And, you know, when it comes to his recent record, it doesn't indicate that. And I think people need to make this distinction when it comes to Cam. Cam is a great athlete. And at a time, 
he was a really good quarterback, an MVP caliber quarterback. But that was in 2015, 2016. We are now in 2023, and Cam didn't even play last year. Now, when it comes to the idea of him holding a clipboard and being a backup quarterback, okay, fine. I don't see an issue with that. But like Cam said in the video, there may already be predetermined players to be a backup quarterback for some of the quarterbacks that he listed in that video. And I think if a team were to contact Cam Newton, I think it would come with essentially bring him on as an emergency backup. Like if you were to lose a quarterback due to injury, you insert the backup quarterback, you know, maybe you bring him in as that third option. That's pretty much, I think the only pathway that I see for Cam. And when it comes to Cam and the knowledge that he could bring, if he were to end up on an NFL roster as a backup quarterback, I think that he could be definitely, you know, someone of service in that role, especially when you have somebody that a went to a Super Bowl and does have an MVP notch on his belt. But when it comes to his ability to be, I would say, an average quarterback in the NFL, those days are over with. Just the the recent history doesn't support that. And I understand that Cam is not relatively old when it comes to being the age that he's at. He's in his early 30s. It's not like he's like pushing 40 like Aaron Rodgers. You know, that's a good, that's a different situation entirely. Aaron Rodgers is still playing at a high level. Cam isn't. And I understand that Cam, you know, has probably some better athletic qualities than Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers can still sling it. Aaron Rodgers is still somebody that is pretty effective in completing passes at a 65% clip. Cam can't really do that consistently anymore. He's never been the same since that shoulder surgery. And unfortunately for him, I think the only way that he gets back into the NFL is as a backup. And I think as the years go on and those opportunities to potentially get back there and to be on an NFL team, they just don't manifest themselves. You know, I think Cam's going to have to come with the reality or he's going to have to face the reality that it's over. I'm not saying right now that he should just flat out retire. I think that's a little bit too premature, but the idea of that is creeping up. There's no doubt about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, during the regular season, if a team contacts him, if they have a pretty bad situation at the quarterback spot on a respective team. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if a team contacts Cam. And if he gets a backup job, good for him. But you're going to be holding a clipboard. And you're going to give you know a backup quarterback or even a quarterback on the roster some advice. You know, and, and hell, I mean, if they go down, maybe Cam you know, gets another opportunity, gets another crack at being an NFL quarterback. But I think you'd have to have two or three things to happen for you to get that opportunity. I mean, the biggest one is actually being able to get on a roster. And I think at that, I think at this point it's, it could happen, but I think the odds of that actually happening are, are probably decreasing the farther we go along. But I mean, at this point, Cam is pretty much done as a, as an NFL quarterback. I, I don't really see any other way forward unless somebody were to go down with an injury and then they bring him in based on an emergency situation. But this ain't 2015 cam anymore. And honestly, it's as simple as that. I don't I don't know where he gets the arrogance from. 
again, Shannon Sharp went went in on the episode today on Undisputed. I'm. It's one thing to have confidence in yourself. It's one thing to to have faith that you can still do it. It's another thing to go off of what you have provided your recent teams or your recent employers, what you have done in in that time since then. You ain't done nothing, bro. You had a highlight clip. You've been on podcast. You've been talking about, oh, 32 guys ain't better than me. Other than being athletic and strong, I can promise you 28 of those 32 quarterbacks probably got a better, more accurate arm than you. And the only reason I say that is because there were a lot of quarterbacks that struggled this season. Skylar Thompson didn't play good, obviously, in limited time that he was shown. Teddy Bridgewater didn't play too hot. And even at that, I think that Teddy's a way better quarterback than Cam right now from a pocket presence. Zach Wilson might be the only one I could say, you know what, I'll take Cam Newton over Zach Wilson. That's how bad Zach was. And Zach Wilson is younger, and Zach Wilson might even be faster right now because of how young he is. But they have, they have other plans. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I could probably go down a list and say, would you rather, like we did last year or a couple years ago when we did that, what quarterback would you prefer over that? I can promise you Kyle and I are probably picking 27, 28 guys before him. That's there's how one, bad Cam has been. There's one team that maybe I could look at that they could bring him based on emergency. Maybe Arizona. Until I Kyler was thinking the back. same thing because Kyler's going to miss half the year recovering from the ACL, but is Cam going to be willing to pass the reins back to back. Kyler? It's not and even about willing. That's, that's a head coach decision. So, And you'd have to assume that he would play good enough to be able to even keep those reins then. And if he true. doesn't... You know, they, they could outsource him too. It'd be pretty easy to. But no, when it comes to the landscape of teams, Houston? Houston's drafting a quarterback. Oh, then again, there's rumors that they might not. So I don't know. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too it's, long. We already went down. There's very few teams that I could look at with Cam right now. It, he's It's not a rosy shot. picture for him. If he gets a job, good for him. Yes, but for him to come out there and make a request list of what I would prefer, bro, you gotta chill out, man. You okay. act like you got some kind of power out here, like you got, like you got pull with the with the owners and shit to be like, yeah. Yo, I, 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 I do have to ask. Honestly, this is just, I just want to see where this goes. Don't do it. We're not coming off as hating, right? No, it has nothing well, to do with we, that. The numbers, the we're not numbers coming off as hating, right? No, no, no. The numbers prove it. And again, I am all for a player having confidence in himself, but the way that he has just talked about it recently has just been too much for me to not say nothing. You thought I was going to say, should he go to Indy? I, dude, I was going to say, you, you thought, know what? We you got thought. Gardner Minshew. I, don't, I do not need Cam Newton in that locker room. We got enough issues. Listen, you got Minshew magic, dude. Mania. Whatever. I, I tried to go with the double M, you know? Minshew mania. Mania. Minshew magic. Whatever. M-M. Anyway. They're interchangeable, got, bro. We, we, it is. But we got some big news coming in the weekend. We got some big fights coming up. Our resident UFC expert, we got UFC 287. And obviously we got the matchup that is, you know, everybody's talking about is the rematch between Parrera and Adesanya. And then the next matchup, obviously we got Gilbert Burns versus Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal. Yep. Two big fights. I don't have to watch UFC to know that these are going to be two big cards. Both going on on Saturday. So, Kyle, with this with 287 being right around the corner, give me your thoughts on what the event's going to be like. Oh, I think this is going to be a great weekend. And when it comes to UFC 287, uh, this is the first time 
in 20 years that we're going to have a UFC card in Miami. Kevin, I know you were just in Miami last week, but man, this weekend in Miami, it, it is definitely going to be lit, especially with these two top fights with Pereira going up against Adesanya and then Gilbert Burns going up against Jorge Masvidal. I mean, you talk about the co-main event with Burns and Masvidal. That's going to be a great fight, especially with Masvidal essentially fighting in home territory. You know, he's a resident Floridian. That's going to be a big fight for him. But I want to start with the Adesanya uh, Pereira fight. So this would be a rematch. Uh, the last two, uh, the last time these two fought, Pereira was able to get the middleweight belt from Adesanya in a huge fifth round upset. Because when we look back to that fight, I'll be honest with you, Adesanya was up three to one in that uh, going into the fifth round uh, between Pereira and Adesanya. And I have to say, Pereira threw some great shots against Adesanya in the fifth, got Izzy in some trouble, and Mark Goddard stopped the fight. And then you, you have... Pereira in this huge upset victory get the middleweight belt from Israel Adesanya and Izzy had been holding the belt for quite some time and going into this fight you know if I'm Israel Adesanya in this fight against Alex Pereira the one thing I would look back to that last fight was that even though that Pereira was losing the fight the majority of that time Pereira was the one walking down Izzy. He wasn't afraid to get essentially in a phone booth with Israel and go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, not only with his kickboxing, but to throw in some jabs and throw in some hooks. And, you know, even though that I thought Izzy had some good rounds and, you know, going into that fifth, I thought that he was up. He got caught. And I think the one thing that Israel's going to have to learn in this fight is that he's going to get into a situation where he gets more opportunities to be able to walk down Alex Pereira to get him into a situation where Izzy is the one controlling the fight because Pereira definitely controlled the fight. Even though that Izzy was, Izzy was winning that fight, Pereira was acting like the one who was having a little bit more confidence in that fight. So, you know, when I look at this rematch of Israel Adesanya and then Alex Pereira, I obviously think that the main focal piece with these two fighters is their kickboxing backgrounds. And the first time these guys fought, the amount of leg kicks that we saw between these two was extremely high. Izzy was going for head kicks. Pereira was going for head kicks. You had body kicks. You had calf kicks, quad kicks. And honestly, the amount of kicks that these guys were throwing were just absolutely ridiculous. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a very similar outcome in this fight. I think that when it comes to these two in particular, I think by the second or third round, these guys could be upward of somewhere around 40 to 45 kicks. You know, then you break it off into, you know, the head area, the body, and then legs and calves. But I, I think the difference in this fight is whether or not that Adesanya is going to be able to not only keep the momentum in this fight, but to be able to not only try to finish Pereira, but let's say hypothetically, Adesanya's up late in the rounds. And going into the fifth, he's got an advantage on Pereira. Can he be able to play effective defense? Can he be able to defend himself against Pereira? Because when I see Pereira, even though that I think his background in kickboxing is amazing, the amount of kicks that he throws is just ridiculous. Man, Pereira's got some heat behind those punches. 
some of those jabs that he was landing on Izzy in the last fight, those hurt. Some of the hooks that he was throwing, they were landing. And when you look at Pereira, you know, you got to cut the 180, 185 in this division. By the time these two fight, Pereira's going to look like he's 215 pounds just because of all the water that you have to shed to be able to make weight. You know, and that was a staple when we saw these two guys fight the last time. Izzy looked like a far more smaller box, a, sm a far more smaller fighter compared to Pereira. And honestly, the, the difference was striking. But when I see this fight playing out on Saturday night, this is a toss-up for me. I could really see this fight going either way. And, you know, when, when I see this fight like projected out in my head, I could see Izzy winning this fight in a decision. I could see Pereira winning this fight in a decision. But I'll be honest with you. I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that Pereira is going to be able to retain this belt. And I think a part of it is, I think it's the physical difference between Izzy and Pereira. Especially with Pereira looking like a light heavyweight out there. Because by the time that these two fight on Saturday night, the physical difference that you're going to see between these two fighters is going to be stark. And I don't know if Izzy's going to be able to combat that if Pereira is landing some really good kicks. And if Izzy gets on the ground, you know, we'll see what Pereira can do with it if he can get, can get some takedowns on top of it. But overall, I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. If I had to just throw a projection out there, I'm actually going to say that Pereira wins. Uh, I wouldn't be mad if Israel won the fight to reclaim the belt, but... I have to see who is the fighter that's really pushing the pace. Who's the one that's really setting the tone of the fight? I understand that Pereira was winning the fight or was losing the fight last time around. Ended up winning the fight. Got some hits. Got some good punches in. That ended up being the difference. And he was walking down Izzy the entire time throughout that fight. You know, if Izzy's doing it, you know, Izzy can win that fight. But overall, I think it's going to be a very fun fight. And I hope it lives up to expectations. Now, when it comes to the Gilbert burns Jorge Masvidal fight, this is where things, I think, are going to get interesting. Because when we look at Masvidal, last time we saw Masvidal, he got knocked out by Kamaru Usman. And Kamaru really put a hurt on Jorge, not just physically, but mentally. I think when it comes to Jorge, he physically recovered from his injuries quickly. But I think the mental obstacles that Jorge had to overcome from that fight. That's been a different beast entirely. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And he flat out said that Kamaru, that Kamaru fight put him in a very dark place. Um, he was out for a couple of months, you know, didn't put any time into fighting or training. He, he backed away from MMA for a little bit, but I think this is one of those fights that could potentially re-energize him, but he's going up against Gilbert Burns. And Gilbert Burns, man, he's a tough fighter to go up against. Because when you look at Gilbert, you could look at some of his most recent fights. I think that Hamzat fight, where he's fighting against uh, uh, Hamzat Hamayev, man, that was a hell of a fight. Even though that Hamzat ended up winning that fight, a lot of people gained some respect for Gilbert for being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with essentially a killer in Hamzat. Hamzat is... A, 
beast to deal with. And Gilbert definitely made his mark in that fight and definitely made it competitive. And then his last fight, he was able to get a submission in the first round against Neil Magny and did it relatively quickly. Getting a first-round submission was huge for him. I think going into this fight, I would say the momentum is probably more on Gilbert just based off of the fact that he's been a little bit more active recently than Jorge. Jorge hasn't fought since the Kamaru Usman knockout. And I don't know how he's going to necessarily... I don't know how he's going to necessarily respond uh, taking that amount of time off, even though that he's fighting in his hometown in Miami. I imagine that he's going to be ready to go and he's looking for a KO or a submission in his mind. But going up against Gilbert, it's going to be tough. I wouldn't be surprised if you know this fight goes the distance, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Gilbert ends up getting a submission or potentially a, a knockout. I'm not 100% sure that Gilbert's going to be able to get a knockout, but I wouldn't be surprised if Gilbert gets a submission against Jorge because Jorge, he's getting up there in age. He's 38 years old. You know, Jorge is not a spring chicken anymore, and he, he's already alluded to the fact that he thinks that uh, retirement could be creeping up on him sooner rather than later. So this fight is going to be very interesting. I would bet more times than not, I think Gilbert's probably going to win this fight over Jorge. It's going to be very interesting, though, to see how Jorge fights in his hometown because the emotional support that he's going to have behind him going into that fight, it could be a factor, but it may it may not mean anything going up against somebody like Gilbert. Because Gilbert, even though he had some opportunities to, to get that belt in the welterweight division, came a little bit short, but do not sleep on Gilbert. Gilbert is a hell of a fighter, and he has a big opportunity set up against uh, Jorge Masvidal. And I think that more than likely... I think Gilbert will get that, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets him in a submission. So overall, I think UFC 287, it's going to be a great card this weekend. I'm definitely going to be paying attention to it, and we'll see how it plays out on Saturday night. Obviously, I say it every week, not a UFC fan. If I get a chance to watch it, I'm definitely going to try to tune in. But there is another event in which Kyle got to tune in a little bit with him being off today. Shout out to you for actually getting a day off. My man be working too hard. Tell him that shit every day. Um, the Masters is going on. The most prestigious event in golf. The most sought-out, famous. I mean, everybody knows the green jacket is the green jacket. Every, every golf player aims to have this championship, this title, this, this win under their career, under their belt. And, I mean, Kyle got a chance to watch a little bit. So, Kyle, I'm going to ask, you know, with what you've seen from the Masters thus far, how do you think it's going to shape to be over the weekend? Well, I think it's going to be competitive, as it always is. And I have to say, just based off of what we saw on Thursday, I mean, the competition was fierce. I mean, Kev, do me a favor. Pull up the leaderboard so we could give everybody who's listening or watching it, or, or watching it yeah. what the, got uh, the leaderboard the top is right five. now. Top five, a little bit longer? What do you want? You do top five, top ten. So top five right now, we have uh, Hovland at one, tied with Ram, with uh, under seven. And then Kep Koepka. Oh, also oh, tied for first. Brooks, Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka also seven under. And then at third, you have Young. And at fifth, you have Day. Both of them are at five under. So very competitive at the top. Yeah. And, you know, I was watching, I was watching the pairing with Tiger. And when it comes to Tiger specifically, you know, Tiger had an up and down day. I'm not going to say he had the best day. I'm not going to say he had the worst day. Um, it seemed like his iron game was a little bit off. His driver did not fail him whatsoever. He hit 
the overwhelming majority amount of fairways throughout that first round. But I, I look back to that first round by Tiger. I think that his irons weren't as sharp. And unfortunately, he just wasn't able to sink some putts. And when it comes to Tiger specifically, he's 47 years old. And, you know, he, he's coming off of that car crash a couple of years ago where he damn near lost his leg from that car crash. And, and you could tell when, when he's out there on the course that there's still a little bit of a leg limp. And I think he's going to be dealing that he's going to be dealing with that for the rest of his competitive golfing career. And honestly, he's probably going to be dealing with that for the extended future beyond golf. So, you know, when it comes to Tiger, he shot a 74, shot two over. Uh, there were definitely some shots that he left there out on the field. But as far as I see it, it could have been a lot worse when it came to Tiger. I, I like the fact that he got on a little bit of a nice little stretch on 15 and 16, got some back-to-back birdies, uh, but unfortunately uh, bogeyed the last hole on 18. Um, but the guy, the one guy that I want to focus on was Victor Hovland. Um, that was the, the pairing that I was mostly paying attention to throughout the day. Man, Victor could not miss. Victor had no bogeys in that first round. Shot seven under a 65 on the first round. It was just an absolutely incredible day by Victor. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There were some opportunities that he could have squandered and potentially gotten some bogeys. Um, just maybe some bad chips, some bad uh, iron shots. But nonetheless, he was able to overcome those. And he's able to sink some crucial par putts. Uh, to keep him at seven under for the day. I mean, when you go through an entire first round at the Masters and you keep a clean card and you don't bogey, that's huge. So, you know, shout out to him. He had a great day. You know, like Kev said, Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka being at seven under. When you look at Brooks, I mean, Brooks is just somebody that can nail that tee shot 300, 325 yards easy. And a lot of these guys that, are high up on the leaderboard. These guys are, are just smashing it off of the tee boxes, hitting it 300, 325 yards in some cases. And sometimes it could be like 330, depending on uh, the slope of the fairways at Augusta. But the one thing that I will look to now that we're going into the second round and then the subsequent rounds that come after it, weather's going to be a major factor in this Masters tournament this year. Because when you look at the first round, on Thursday it was 85 degrees. Uh, the wind wasn't really a factor. It was around 5 to 10 miles an hour. It'd pick up here and there, but it wasn't a significant factor. But when you look at the temperatures in Augusta over the next couple of days, Kev, they're going to go from 85 degrees. And I think on one of the days, I think it's either Friday or Saturday, it's going to be in the 50s. And there's the potential for rain. So you're talking about a 30, 35 degree drop-off. And we're going to see these greens really... Um, really slow up because, you know, when you look at some of these greens, some of the speeds were really high just based off of the fact that, uh, you know, when it's 85 degrees outside, especially when um, the conditions dry up the course, that's when those greens run red hot. But, you know, you throw in the possibility of rain or some extra humidity on top of that, it was it's going to slow the greens down. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, putting is going to be a little bit of a concern for these guys just because the weather conditions, um, they're going to be changing over the next couple of days or so. So I think when it came to the players that were out there on the course today, it was run and gun and try to get the highest score possible because I wouldn't be surprised if some of these scores end up taking hits simply just because I don't think guys are going to be able to take advantage of 
the speed of not only the fairways, but the greens, just because I think the course is going to relatively firm up uh, with these changing weather conditions over the next couple of days. But overall, very exciting first day. Um, like Kev said, I, I was watching the Masters simply just because it was on. I had a day off from work, which was actually kind of nice. And um, I have to say, you know, it was very entertaining to watch. And that's despite the fact that, you know, I'm a casual fan. Golf can be pretty boring um, to just the general person. But uh, I definitely uh, I definitely took a lot in from uh, the, this first round on Thursday. And I thought overall it was a very competitive day across the board. But I'll just leave it at that. Golf is weird, man. It's the one sport I couldn't get into. I've done the simulator. I've gone to the range. I've gone to courses with my dad and my friend. I just... I cannot get into it. I don't like standing there in the heat. I know a lot of people drink and smoke and have a good time. And I mean, smoke cigars. You know, obviously, it's like a gentleman's club. You're not going out there and smoking weed on the course or anything like that. But I just, I, I don't know, man. I've done tennis. I've done lacrosse. I've done a multitude of different sports. I cannot get into golf for the life of me, let alone watching it. It's just, I feel like it's just not my thing. I think... You know, the interesting thing is, as I get older, I try to pick up on the nuances of the game. You know, when it comes to green speed, how guys are kind of picking their shots as they go throughout the round. And you got to remember, Kev, it's on them. This isn't like where in football, you could blame it on the ref or you could blame it on somebody else because they didn't do their job. This is pretty much, it's all on you. You know, and your caddy's there to provide a little bit of help along the way. But, bro, it, it is an individual sport. And it's just interesting to see the tactics that these guys use, especially, you know, when you're talking about a major championship like the Masters. You know, the margin of error on some of these holes. I mean, it's so slim. I mean, you could take... I'll give you an example. I forget which hole it was. These guys were on a par four. Hitting great shots. You know, hitting it from probably, let's say, 180 to 220 yards out from, from the hole or from the green. And these guys, they hit the shot with, you know, five or six iron, lands on the green. And like when the ball hits the green for the first time, the ball is maybe, what, 10, 15 feet away from the hole. But depending on the slope that it could pick up, that ball can roll an extra 20, 25 feet, depending on where you place it on the green. So... You know, when it comes to these guys, it, it, placement is everything. You know, some guys took advantage of the whole placement on, on 16. 16 is a par three. Um, the whole placement on that was literally at the front of the green. So, you know, a lot of those guys were extremely uh, competitive on that. They were taking advantage of it because that's one of those holes in particular you could be aggressive on. But there are some other holes where you kind of have to play it a little bit more safe just because there's a hazard in play or some of the bunkers can be an obstacle to overcome based on placing the ball in a certain spot. But, you know, just the little, the nuances that, that, that come with golf, I, it had been a while since I really paid attention to a round of golf, but there were some pretty good takeaways that, that I picked up along the way, especially just like when it comes to placement on the greens, reading putts, you know, trying to place the proper shot in the fairway. Like it was, it, I understand, you know, that there's a huge contingent of people that just don't watch golf unless Tiger's playing. And I'm probably one of those people, but it was, 
actually interesting to watch. It had been a while since I watched golf, and I'm actually glad that I took the time out of my day to watch a good chunk of Thursday in the first round. Yeah, I mean, maybe it helps a little bit that you worked on a golf course for a couple of years, may have picked up nope. on a couple of things. Nope. None. You would think so, but no. You that know how many times I worked here, I don't give a shit about anything. You know how many times I ended up playing on the course that I worked at? Because I worked at a couple courses, but um, the last course that I worked at, I think I played on that course twice. And I was there for a couple of years. So. Did you get to play for free? Yeah, you just had to set up the the tea time, maybe like a couple of days out. Usually we tried to play on the weekends. The weekend, usually like a Sunday afternoon or maybe late on a Saturday. That's probably like the best time that you can go. But, bro, you, you couldn't go first thing in the morning, it, it, especially on like Saturdays and Sundays. Good luck because everybody's off. Everybody's playing. Exactly. It, your, your tea times would be set up well past two, three o'clock. Yeah. And then usually, usually they, they start drawing down, especially when it gets hot outside. Don't get me wrong. Like, the early morning tea times during the summertime will still be pretty, uh, They'll be pretty busy, pretty packed, pretty busy. But 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 usually around eleven o'clock when that heat starts rolling through, that's when people just start leaving, just because it's too hot. Got you. But I mean, guys, it's gonna wrap it up for us. First episode, we're both back in the booth. Uh, felt good to be back. Obviously, we had a whole lot to talk about. A little bit of long-winded, I guess, analysis on both of our parts for specific segments. But hey, this is what we do. It's why you guys come to see us, and uh, it just feels good to be back. So. I mean, uh, guys, we're going to be dropping content. The NBA playoffs are literally less than a week away. Cannot wait to really dive into that and really just discuss that. And then, uh, Kyle, I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a pretty cool movie that just came out this past Tuesday with Ben Affleck and the whole Jordan story about how the shoe was originated. And with us see, being sneaker I, I admirers, see. I plan on seeing it this weekend. I'm retired. Retired, but I know the game. I said admirers. Done. I said admi- you're still allowed to admire. Oh, for sure. For sure. I plan I, on watching it. I have seen advertisements about that one. I have. Um, it looked interesting. The last ad I saw for it was maybe about a month, month and a half ago for one of the mm-hmm. trailers. Just came out but on Tuesday. Give it a give it a peep. I'm going to go watch it, and I'm going to let you know how it is. But guys, before we get into another rant or another tangent... Um, that's everything I have for you guys. It feels good to be back, and uh, we'll be uh, we will be back here on the booth Sunday in the uh, Sunday in the evening. Yeah, and I got nothing more to add here. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Whether you guys were watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the audio platforms, uh, we definitely appreciate it. Like Kev said, we'll be back for a Sunday night record, Monday morning upload. And until then, you guys take it easy and have a nice weekend. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. 
Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.